there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Dr. Batar is with us here. Advanced Medicine kicks into gear right now. RobertScottBell.com. Links are in the show notes. If you miss it, of course, MedicalRewind.com. Dr. Batar, you know, longevity, great, interesting discussion topic. Although longevity to some people means something different to others, right? In modern medicine circles, they talk about longevity and kind of keeping you alive with, uh, uh, you know, hook to wires and tubes and things. And and some folks at Google, I don't know if it's just about Google, but some of these zillionaires believe that you can take your head off at the end of your life and supplant it and put it, freeze it, and then put it on somebody's, somebody else's body. So there's some weird things about longevity we probably need to clear up when we go into this first story. Well, I think that uh, if uh, long for a long period of time, I've felt that if we could just download all the experience and all the knowledge that we have on a CD-ROM or a DVD or, you know, in some type of a memory device and then insert it into our children or insert it into whoever wants to purchase that particular disc to upload those experiences and that knowledge so that they don't have to go through a lifetime to gain the experience that, um, you know, we may have experienced or possibly learn from the mistakes that we've made so that they can circumvent that learning curve, it would mm-hmm. be fantastic. But I don't think that's how the brain works, and I don't think that's going <laughs> to uh, uh, be, be the answer to longevity. But I think this uh, story, the the story we're going to cover right now, I think it's a really, really awesome subject to cover because it mm-hmm. actually talks about what truly is possible. For a long time, I've believed that given the current state of knowledge and the resources that are available to us right now, 120 years lifespan at the same quality that you were at 60 and 70 is not only possible and feasible, but is actually very realistic. It was almost by design if we look back. I remember when my mentor, again, I've talked about this in homeopathy, opened my eyes to a whole other world I had never learned about, you know, growing up allopathically and pharmaceutically. Talked about certain cultures or tribes. We would call them primitive because we're, you know, we're the dominant species and they're the primitives, but they were living like the Altiplano, I think they said in in the high desert or the high uh, plains of Mexico or otherwise, uh, maybe in the Andes. They were living to 120 and they weren't dying of cancer and degenerative diseases. They were literally working, if I can say it that way, in the fields until a few days before they, you know, got a little tired, went off into their huts and peacefully left their body like a natural death, something that is so foreign to the West. You know, when you think of death, it's always about you either got taken out by a bus or cancer got you, as opposed to the way these other cultures that may be existing fewer and fewer on the planet before all of this intoxication happened. Right. That's that's a very true statement, Robert. In fact, you know, one of the things that's frustrating, and actually talking about longevity, that's one part of it, but then you just open up another can of worms, and that's, you know, how we transition to the next realm. And that's uh, that's another topic that I think we, you and I have talked off the air many times. We've talked on the air. We've talked about at some of the conferences, the dignity that a person has when they make that transition, the, the, the way society looks at that transition. Everybody looks at it as a, as a sad time and crying and when it should be actually a time of rejoicing because all we're doing is going back home. Wherever we came from is where we go, we go back regardless of what we believe, heaven, hell, this, that, the other, 
Mm-hmm. We know that from wherever we came, which is a celebration time when somebody's born, that's where we're going back. So how can a homecoming be a dreadful, depressing, you know, riddled with crying and, and sorrow? It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, again, how society has dictated that transition that we label as death as something negative. Um, and many of these cultures didn't see that, you know, like the American Indian. It was, it was um, the great spirit. You're going back to the great spirit. Many, many of the ancient uh, tribal uh, thought processes and, and cultures and traditions all looked at the transition, even though it was a sadness, because so you were letting that, you weren't going to see that person down this realm anymore. It was never considered to be a negative thing. And so, again, I'm kind of, you opened that little can of worms, and I just... No, it's, it's, it's timely. Dr. Batar, this week, you know, I've been invited to speak at the International Association for Near-Death Studies Conference in Orlando. They do near-death experience. All these people that have died, gone to the other side, and come back. And the stories are extraordinary. The transformations are extraordinary. I even interviewed a, a, a doctor, a surgeon, high-level surgeon, who came back, and now he's a concert pianist. He, he can play piano on that level. So there's amazing wow. things that can happen there. And they all come back with similar stories of, of this love, the vitamin L I love to talk about. And, you know, that, that idea that um, the, the, what is the purpose of longevity, if we talk about it in terms of the physicality, having this physical body we inhabit? I mean, do you have a mission? Is there a passion for life? It isn't just about I want to stay here as long as I can. Is there a purpose for you hanging out? Because if there isn't, you're probably not going to want to be here 120 years. Well, that's exactly right, because there's a difference between living and existing. And most of us are existing and people that are so uh, enamored with living longer. I think most of those people want to exist. They want to perpetuate the existence. And what's the point of existing? I mean, I would rather live one day than exist for 100 years. And to live means to thrive. And there's a very significant difference between these two words that people will say, but that's the semantics. To me, it's a massive difference. It's the difference between night and day, black and white. I mean, there's no gray zone here. You know, to live means to be in that state of actually living and thriving and saving life and and what people say is risk. You know, you're. You, it's not risk. You, you're. You're doing. You're, you're living your truth. You're living in bold communication. You're living in abundance. You're not living in a poverty mindset, afraid all the time, scared, fearful. Um, that's just an existence. You know, you get up in the morning. You dread the day. You have a hard time getting out of bed. That's that's existing. That's not. That's not living. Mm. And so I think what we're talking about is. Um, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought this up, and this is the first one subject we're talking about, because this is a very important subject from a thought process and a mindset where when we start talking about, you know, what I talked about in, in my book uh, on, on all these different ways of uh, keeping the doctor away, well, the whole purpose behind that book is to have a better quality of life. And I think this really summarizes the overall aspect, the mindset aspect that must be there in place first before a person can truly talk about longevity. And now you start eliminating the toxicities and you talk about the detoxification and the emotional, psychological, spiritual aspects and all these different things. But the first thing is you have to understand that mindset has to be that, look, I want to live. I want to thrive. I don't want to exist. I don't want to just go through limping through this thing that we call life. Yeah, and and yet, 
many of these doctors, and it's a fascinating uh, uh, article at healthfinder.gov that we're, we're referring to here. It's, you can find it in the show notes, robertscoutbell.com. Check it out. It's, it's good to read. Um, they talked about the lifespan you know, expanding to like, you know, 79 years for someone who was born a few years ago. And when before 100 years ago, they said it was like 50, some 54 years. And I, and I also got to make the nuanced distinction at that point in time, 100 plus years ago, a lot of people were dying in childhood. Infant mortality was much greater, even though we've seen, uh, unfortunately, uh, declines in, in infor- infant mortality as well here. Uh, but the the reality is we have always had the potential to live as long as we're living today or longer. And yet many folks in the medical realm will say, well, if you're living longer than that, you're beating the odds. And I always remember Han Solo in Star Wars saying, never tell me the odds. It's like, no, I don't believe in the odds. I believe in what you do, who you are, what you do based on why you're here. All of these things will align in a lifespan that is designed and you partake in. You know, you have a lot more of a role in that. You know, and then some people say, well, what if you get hit by a bus? Well, you know, it's another discussion. But all of this matters in, in terms of why you are here trying to figure this thing out. Yeah, but if you get hit by a bus, you know, it isn't really part of another discussion. I think it is the same discussion because you must have filled, fulfilled everything that was that you were here for. Mm. And so you got hit by a bus, and that was how, you know, which is better, to be to live a life of agony for six months to a year with some type of chronic disease or getting hit by a bus? I mean, it's a blessing to get hit by a bus because <laughs> you were taken out quickly, you know what I mean? Sure, and sure. And there's that poem by... Um, uh, you know, the, I can't remember the name of the poem, but basically, we'll, I'll try to look it up between breaks. But uh, about sliding in into life, you know, with the rust and dirt, and and you really the same guy that wrote the poem "My Way." Who is that? Is it Rudyard Kipling? Rudyard Kipling. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah, Rudyard Kipling. Okay, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I just know. <laughs> I think it's his. I think it's the poem is. Uh, I'll see if I can find it. But it's a poem basically about who. Who, how to live your life or how you come sliding in at the end of life. That's a person, you know, who's marred and scarred with having lived. Um, you know, you don't want to come rolling into the end of your life, you know, in a in a perfect car because that means you really haven't lived. Um, and right. course, nobody comes in at the end of life in a perfect car. Well, the dings are there, but, again, full functionality. Even if, you know, you can look on the surface and say, you know, that person has lived a long life. You know, are they functioning? Are they able to do what they're here to do? As I said, I describe these people that are fewer and farther between, evidently, in this uh, 21st century planet, uh, at least, you know, under under one way of uh, marking time. And, and then they live and they work the fields and then they peacefully move on. And that transition is something, again, not to be dreaded at the same time. It's very rare to have that kind of natural death in our culture where allopathic medicine has dominated the field and, and disavowed knowledge of, of, of toxicity as a contributing factor to real disease, decay, dying, and degeneration. Yeah, exactly. That's an that's a excellent point. And, you know, if you want to get into the real um, nuances and say, okay, well, okay, we understand getting the mindsets right, then what is the key to longevity? Well, you start looking at these uh, cultures that have lived traditionally longer than the than the average person, per se. So you, you mentioned the Peruvian and the uh, people up in Tibet and the Himalayas and, and some of these other um, cultures that are traditionally recognized as having lived longer than the rest of the population. So I think in the Himalayas, um, there's uh, the Hunza, that's a tribe mm-hmm. of people that uh, consistently beat 100 years. Um, of course, we know in Peru, um, there's certain other cultures. And then, in fact, in New Mexico, I was at a conference 
uh, with uh, Greg Baden uh, at one of his conferences, and we actually toured one of these facilities, one of these actual villages, and they have a facility right outside the village, and then you actually go up um, with a little tour bus, and they are living there exactly now the way they used to two, three hundred years ago. They have no electricity. They they burn wood or they have kerosene lanterns for um, for heat and for light. Um, they have no indoor plumbing. Um, the villages are set up exactly the way they were originally. And so you ask yourself, what is the key characteristic? What is the commonality of people living longer? And I'll tell you that after the break. Cool. That's a great. Hang in, everybody. Uh, we're going to talk about longevity a little bit more, as well as the things to avoid. Uh, you know, the illusion of we'll help you live longer if we can poison your body with chemotherapy. That's a lie. That is an absolute lie. We'll talk about that as well after the break with uh, Dr. Rasha Bittar right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. Today, Advanced Medicine, we crank up the topic of longevity with Dr. Rashid Bittar. Remember his international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, a must-read. I have it right next to me, just in case uh, Dr. Bittar throws a curve at me. i got to go to his book and go, wait, wait, that was chapter what? Anyway, it's a great book. You can reread it. You never, it never gets old. Anyway, Dr. Bittar, we were talking longevity, and you had some insight, and you, you put us on a cliffhanger as well, and uh, we we got we got to get to the other side here. Well, I was just going to say the one commonality that they have found among all the societies that are traditionally recognized as having a much longer lifespan than their counterparts, that one commonality is, you mentioned it already, you know, the, they were working out in the fields, they, were, they, were, they worked hard. Now, does that mean you have to work hard? It means basically that you have exercise. You're outside, you're getting sun, you're breathing in clean air. That was one characteristic. Another common characteristic is the region that they all lived in was very, very rich in minerals. So their water source, when checked, like the Hunza tribes, the Peruvian tribes, they had the, the water source was very rich in minerals. And so having a good, good, solid uh, balance of minerals that you're taking in and uh, having exercise and good clean air to breathe, that's the, the two ingredients, of I think, of having a very effective uh, strategy at achieving longer health, a longer life and, and good health. Yeah, and and of course, if you have a mineral rich water, you can pretty be pretty sure you've got mineral rich soil, which means the plants are mineral rich that you eat, or the animals that eat the plants that you eat. All of that relates. You're right, and these mineral deficiencies are across the board in Western modernized cultures, and depleted further by, of course, the intoxication, auto intoxication. By the way, we were trying to figure out that quote you were looking for, and and Dr. Batari, you figured it out, and Super Don did, like almost at the same time. I'm the clueless one today because I'm, I just need a I just need a nap at this point. Yeah, well, actually, the quote this wasn't the one that I was thinking of, but this is this is the essence exactly. This is actually a very good one, and um, the, the other one I think is a poem. I want to find it, but this is uh, Super Don. You want to read it? I've got it right here, or I can read it. Yeah, Super Don, go ahead. Let loose on your voice. This is Hunter S. Thompson's quote. <laughs> All right, yeah, attributed to Hunter S. Thompson. He said, "Life should not be a journey to the grave." with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly pro- proclaiming, wow, what a ride. 
Wow. And that's really what life is about. That's well, That was a rush right there. That quote is a rush, man. You get a rush going, yeah, no, I, I dig that, you know, uh, getting out there and, and getting dirty. Uh, and and I remember, Dr. Batari, in my journey, my spiritual journey, at, 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 early on, you know, you, there's pain in your life, emotional, and everybody's pain is different. It's not trying to say bad or worse or better or not. But there's a point where I felt like, oh, man, I want to get out of this place. I don't like it here so much. And it wasn't like I was suicidal, but it was like I was looking for something that would bring on that blissful state. You know, that, that feel-good state. And I wasn't one that was into any drugs or anything, so that wasn't my journey. And then as I got deeper into spiritual principle, laws, learning these things, it was like, no, 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 you're supposed to be here to be immersed in life, not to go up into the cave and contemplate on your navel. And it was like that quote. It was like, no, immerse yourself in life. Get in there with the folks. You know, experience life. And, of course, for me, it's the joy of bringing that power to heal back to each and every one of you is, is, is what really lights me up. And that's that's exactly what it is, Robert. It's, it's the fuel that makes us move. It's it's the it's the impetus behind our reason for jumping out of bed as opposed to crawling out of bed. And anything that makes you jump out of bed, anything that makes you, you know, look out and say today today is a, a wonderful day. No matter whether it's rainy and cloudy or you know snowing or sun's out, it doesn't matter. I mean, to me. Every day is a beautiful day. Why is that? Because it's a beautiful day. I don't care what it is. It's a beautiful day. Why is it a beautiful day? Because either the sun's out or you see the magnificence of the of the creator's uh, strategy of having this thunderstorm and, and lightning and water coming down if it's a stormy day because that's a detoxification. I mean, that to me, that's a Hertzheimer's response. That's exactly <laughs> what the planet is going through. So it, it, it is a... It is um, awareness, and I think if people start to, this is one reason for me, longevity part, you know, we talked about the global perspective. If people start to recognize um, it's how we see and view um, our environment, and, and there was a great quote, I don't know who said it, but they said it's not really what happens to us that makes a difference. It's really, it doesn't matter what happens to us. It's how we respond to what happens to us. That's what makes a person a person. And that's what defines a person. And so this is really what we're talking about. And what's your response going to be, folks? One of the things you can do is keep plugging in and telling your friends about the place for health, freedom, and healing liberty. Each and every week, we go and do advanced medicine with Dr. Rasha Bittar. If you miss a show, medicalrewind.com is an easy place to get it. Now we have the player on site, too, as well at robertscottbell.com. we got lots more broadcast healing. A question of the day, comment of the day next, too. You're listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Advanced Medicine each and every week here with Dr. Rasha Bittar. And you can go check out his website directly, D-R-B-U-T-T-A-R, drbittar.com. And, of course, the nine steps to keep the doctor away available internationally through Amazon, many other sources as well. And, uh, my goodness, the things that we are doing. And, of course, finding your bliss, finding your passion, your mission in life, that goes a long way to establish longevity. Uh, and uh, it's just it's just fun, too. Life becomes fun when you have a mission and a passion and a willingness to share it with others who share similar missions and passions. That's why, if anybody wonders why we have a good time each week on the air, that's one of the reasons why. And with that, from longevity to a question of the day, we do that from time to time here. You send them into the website, robertscottbell.com. Excuse me. 
I'd like to ask you a few questions. All right, this one, uh, Super Don, you have to tell me who's, who wrote this one. And I don't have a message link here, but he says, uh, I've been listening to old archive shows, and you fascinate me because you think and feel so much like me. Not trying to be creepy or anything, but maybe what we have in common are the enemas that clear the bond and body like nothing else. Okay, <laughs> Super Don, did you write that? Were you trying to be funny? Yeah, no, I, I did not did. put that in there. No. I thought he did that. No, no. Uh, so this person, this is like, Dr. Patar, when people discover this show, they go back and back and back. And this is a guy that's going back. He says he's been going back episode by episode in reverse, month by month. And he's actually at July of last year. And he said that episode on kale propaganda and thallium got my attention. Dr. Holden Clark discovered that thallium, a banned rat poison that is multiple times more toxic than mercury, this is what he's saying here, is an impurity or contamination of mercury found in dental fillings. In her last book, she found that glass and Teflon cookware each leach thallium in large amounts. And many of her wheelchair patients had loads of thallium stored in their bodies. Um, so as they argue against kale because somebody found thallium in it, what about everything else? And Dr. Batari, you're the guy to ask because, you know, as much as you've studied mercury, we haven't talked so much about thallium as well. Well, you know, the thing is that thallium is not found as abundantly as mercury. and It's not used in um, industry as widely as mercury is. But here's what's interesting with thallium. Thallium is used in all hospitals. For example, when you do a cardiac stress test, that's the... That's the contrast media that they use to be able to see on the um, echocardiogram uh, how everything is uh, working in the heart. And thallium is a contrast medium that they use. So it's, in fact, it's called a thallium stress test. You've probably heard of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably that's the widest use of thallium that I know of. I'm not sure what else they use thallium for. Um, but, yes, thallium is uh, definitely a metal that is not something that is desired in the body. In fact, if a pa- I know patients are scheduled for a uh, stress test, I tell them, you know, always do an exercise stress test, don't do a thallium stress test. Well, yeah, um, the stress that that happens then is to your liver and kidneys very, very big time. Yeah, exactly, and, and, and other things too. You know, one of the things is that toxic metals, we've talked about this before, Robert, a couple of years ago, but I think it probably behooves us to kind of cover this right now since we're talking about thallium, and, and it's actually applicable in all the metals, there's three mechanisms of damage. So when we say something's toxic, what do we really mean? Well, we're talking about these various ways of how they can cause a deleterious effect on the body. So the three mechanisms of deleterious effect that heavy metals have on the body, and by the way, to be completely clear, heavy metals and minerals are really, they're very similar except that minerals have the label of minerals because they're beneficial, and heavy metals are basically the same types of substances, but they have a deleterious effect. And you have certain minerals that have a heavy metal effect. In other words, it's synonymous, but based upon how they affect our bodies, we call them minerals or heavy metals. But selenium, which is a very important mineral, when taken in high levels and in the wrong format, can be uh, just like act just like mercury or lead, uh, copper, same thing. Um, uh, iron, the same thing. So these are all, there's a, there's a borderline. They're all close cousins to each other. So when we talk about the mechanism of damage or the mechanism of um, of uh, injury that heavy metals, how they cause heavy metal, uh, how heavy metals cause damage. So let's cover those. Those three mechanisms are first, oxidative stress or the rusting reaction. So the when the banana is cut or the apple is cut and it turns brown, that's oxidation. So metals and minerals will accelerate that aspect. 
The second one is lesser known, and that's a mineral displacement issue. And here's a problem with thallium, for example. Thallium has its own toxicities, but thallium actually creates a massive displacement of other uh, minerals. And right. so that's the second mechanism of action of all these different toxic substances, these toxic metals, how they affect the body. And then the third mechanism of action of toxicity is lesser known and not as widely recognized in the medical profession, but that's the allergenicity component. So you've got the oxidative component, the displacement component, and then the allergenicity component. And um, I just thought that even though it's not necessarily directly related to this particular question, the mechanism for thallium that creates the massive damage is actually, the first, it, causes, it causes all three of them. Obviously, if you're uh, allergic to thallium, then you're going to have a, a problem anyway. But the first two mechanisms of action, actually, the oxidative one is not as bad as the displacement one. That's where thallium really is massively destructive is the displacement effect that it has. Right. Now, it's interesting that they brought up uh, Dr. Holda Clark, you know, who I've met over the years before she passed when she came to the Health Freedom Expos and what. I mean, you want to talk about a small little lady that you wouldn't think is a threat to anybody, and the medical establishment, the pharmaceutical industrial complex, thought that she was the most dangerous woman on the planet for many years. Well, I think she was. I think she was a dangerous woman to the to the status quo. She wasn't a dangerous woman to the planet. Um, mm-hmm. And Dr. Clark, you know, may have been very frail, but she also was very powerful, not only with her her spirit, as you obviously met her um and you know, but um, she knew that the words that she would write would long surpass her existence on this planet, and I think that's why she was so um, dangerous to the status quo, because she had a lot of um, information that she put out and that has followers throughout the world long after she's died and long after you and I'll be gone. I think she'll still have people that are, that are following her, and she, she was a fascinating woman. Well, yeah, and, and like I said, in a small package, it's amazing when you talk about the impact people can have. The, the thing we learn as kids, never judge a book by its cover, right? And it is, and you don't have to be big and strong of stature to transform the consciousness of people on planet Earth. And she did a lot in her lifetime with the many books that she read. And uh, like I said, you know, we don't talk about Holda Clark much, but yeah, you're right. The book she wrote, the things that she did, she brought us a lot of information at a time where there were many, not many, who knew what she was able to find out. Yeah, in her last few years of life, I formed a pretty strong friendship with her probably the last five years. Um, and we had many conversations, you know, late into the night, sometimes uh, exceeding two, three hours, and a couple of times we hit the four-hour mark, but... Um, she actually came to San Diego. The, she didn't come to the States much after she moved to Mexico. She very reluctantly came to the States, but she actually came to San Diego to hear me give a lecture at ACAM back in 2000, what was it, 2007, 2008 time frame. Um, and that was the last time I saw her. Um, but, you know, I didn't, re- I only met her maybe, tw- I guess that's three times was the only time I met her, very, very short times, but our conversations um, showed me there was a lot of information that ladies had that you know still hasn't been written down or hasn't been published at least. Um, but I think you're absolutely right, Robert. She was a fascinating woman and very, very powerful, far, far bigger and larger than she was, you know, physically. I mean, so in terms of of the thallium um, issue, it doesn't change your program and protocol in terms of recovery because you've succeeded by targeting mercury as well as other metals, and I, sh- I imagine that would play right in with the thallium. 
Well, this is a great question. I'm glad you brought it up. So there's two major classes of chelators, and the the one class hits the, the mercury, uh, which also hits arsenic and plutonium and uranium and those spots. And then you've got the the other class, which uh, so you've got the dimercaptor propanosulfonic, the chelator that I use for mercury, arsenic, plutonium, uranium, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, then I have the other one, the ethylene diamine tetracetic acid, and that works more for the lead, the iron, the um, cadmium, um, the tin. And so these chelators, they all have, I mean, EDTA will still bind to mercury, and and um, dimercaptor propanosulfonate will bind to lead, but they have a propensity for certain um, chelators. And there's other ones. You know, you've got the British Anna Lewis side we've talked about before, fantastic chelator. The only problem is it causes it pulls out the mercury so effectively that it causes a denaturing of the bonds, the self-hydro bonds that hold proteins um, in their morphological structure that we recognize. And the self-hydro bonds is where mercury binds to. So when you break the self-hydro bonds pulling the mercury away, it causes the, the bond itself to break, which causes a dehiscence of the protein, and therefore you end up having a 20% mortality rate. One out of five people that use British analocyte, yes, it's highly effective at pulling out mercury, but they'll die because wow. of the protein denaturing. So the point is that there's many different, you've got defuroxamine, you've got all these different chelators that are out there. So I've found those two chelators that I use to be effective. So they're not just one metal of metal. It's not like, oh, at this time, let me start looking at different chelators. They all work to a certain level. So when we're treating, and I'm looking at mercury and lead as the two primaries, but I'm getting cadmium out, I'm getting thallium out, I'm getting uranium out, I'm getting all these other things out anyway. So those are all side effects of the treatment, essentially. So it's, it's like almost saying, well... Um, I can pick this out of the water, and I can pick that out of the water, and I can pick this out of the water, or I can just flush everything down the toilet. And I'm just flushing everything. Yeah, yeah, sense? no. And, and at this point, uh, with the environmental degradation and the exposures globally, uh, you, you'd be hard-pressed to find, you know, even those areas where we opened today talking about the Hunzas and things. I mean, I think there's evidence that even in those areas, they aren't full, totally free of contamination. Obviously, our goal is to clean up everything that we can and we have control over, and we have a resilience as a species to withstand a lot, but there's a breaking point, and the breaking point for each one of us might be a little different, you know, depending on strengths and weaknesses. Uh, but the recognition is that anybody would benefit by, uh, you know, a focused cleanse or cleansing throughout their life at this point because the exposure, we're not going to be able to get rid of it all. That's exactly right. We are all exposed. We have all had far greater exposure than is safe for us. There's nobody on this planet that hasn't been exposed. I mean, even if you were like a bubble person, then you may have a little bit less than the rest of us, but everybody has been exposed to a certain level. And and the key is that we have to understand that getting that essential minerals and living our life as fully as possible isn't going to prevent us from being exposed to stuff, but it will help our body compensate and be able to deal with the stresses that the metals cause. All right, when we come back to wrap up Advanced Medicine with Dr. Rashid Bittar, we'll talk about the intelligence, you might think lack thereof, of cancer experts endorsing the CDC's HPV vaccine guidelines. Check it out. Links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Back after this. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. 
Upcoming events, I mentioned the uh, IN's conference this week in Orlando, then the United States Health Freedom Congress. I want to, you know, give a shout out to Michael Badnark, and I hope you'll plan to attend the Constitution class, and that's going to be held in the oldest continuously operating hotel in the state of Florida. The Lakeside Inn. You want to be there, step back in time with us and really learn the origins of the Constitution. And, uh, Dr. Batar, I know you would enjoy it if you could make it. But uh, And then the Second Amendment is going to be experienced on day two when we go out to the open range and fire off uh, all the different kinds of guns. You've probably shot a lot of them, but a lot of folks haven't, and that's a great opportunity as well. Yeah, I wish I could be there. Uh, It uh, definitely sounds like an event that uh, would be... Enjoyable just from the standpoint of meeting some of the people that are going to be there. Yeah, no, you'd be jumping up and whooping and hollering with all of us because you know the people that love liberty when they get together, it really is a it's a great thing. You're just so energized by it, and you know even when we did uh, the advanced medicine classes, people that you know have a commonality, a theme, whether it be the love of healing, the need to heal, the openness, the excitement of learning that the power to heal is there. These things that really revitalize us when we get together, and also you'll be back for um, uh, the truth about cancer. Uh, Natural Health Symposium, October 14th, 15th, and 16th in Dallas, Texas. So, folks, get your get your tickets for that before it sells out as well. Now, we had uh, Dr. Sin Hang Lee on uh, a few months back, at least now, who was who worked with the guy that developed the PAP test. He's been in this industry, cancer and OBGYN stuff, for 50 years. And he said flat out that anybody who says the HPV vaccines, Gardasil and Cervix, are cancer vaccines... They're flat-out lying. There's no basis. There's no evidence. There's no science to support them being cancer vaccines. Yet the American Cancer Society and its doctor minions have endorsed the CDC's HPV guidelines, vaccine guidelines, for all 11- and 12-year-old girls as well as boys. Well, you know, there's so much that we've already said about this. There's so much more we could say about it, Robert. I'm I'm curious, did... uh, the, the doctor, say the name again? Sin Hang Lee. Sin Hang Lee. Did Dr. Sin Hang Lee talk about the history of the pap smear with you when he was on, on the air? He did a little bit because, again, he worked with the guy that developed that, that technique, which was pretty amazing. I mean, that was some serious history of the 20th century. Yeah, so I think it warrants re- repeating some of that history. That The pap smear was developed by Dr. Papanikolaou, and he was um, actually... Uh, if I remember correctly, he was American, but the American system would not accept what he was That's right. talking about. And, yes. and he ended up having to actually, he tried for years and years, I mean like decades, and it didn't catch on here. And then he introduced it to Europe, and it actually took a hold in Europe, and then from Europe it spread, and it didn't get back to the United States until I think, what was it, the 60s or something? That's that right, yeah. I, I don't remember. But, the, you know, it's so, the, the medical propaganda system that's in the United States, it's so resistant to advancement or innovation or change that Papa Nicola had to take it outside of the country before it was brought back in here. So um, the problem is that the rest of the world seems to think that the United States is the uh, leader in, in the forefront process of the you know, thought process of innovation in medicine, and that's the furthest mm-hmm. thing from the truth. They hide behind the big names like uh, John Hopkins and, um, you know, Mayo Clinic and all these things, all these different organizations that really um, haven't done anything. Uh, about, like, 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 look at Baylor right now. Baylor is starting to look at some oxidative stuff and have been for the last probably 10 years, ozone and hydrogen peroxide. But the point being that 
the, the way we, our system is set up, they're not looking at the truth. They're looking at the mighty dollar. And I think that the most important thing that could be done is the prevention of pharmaceutical companies from advertising. And I didn't even know this until recently, maybe a few years ago, that back in the 70s and 80s, pharmaceutical companies were not allowed to advertise. I guess it was sometime in the 80s that Congress allowed pharmaceutical companies to start advertising on TV. And that's when they started this entire charade that they've created. But right. um, there's absolutely no basis, like like this doctor said, for the use of any of these vaccines as a, as a can, cancer preventive or cancer, anti-cancer uh, agent or treatment. It's just, yeah, there's no truth to it. Superdon found an article we published from Dr. Sinhang Lee and uh, the, uh, Norma Erickson from St. Vax and talked about the illusion maintained by the suppression of science, the whole idea that vaccine safety of the HPV, much less efficacy. It's not a cancer vaccine, folks. Don't let them lie to you like that. But the FDA, the FTC doesn't worry about that. It's only when they say a natural substance, somebody like at a health food store says, wow, selenium can actually reverse and prevent cancer. Then suddenly they'll find you in 24 hours, even though they can't find Osama bin Laden in 10 years. Folks, uh, perspective is in order, and so is advanced medicine. We're about out of time. Dr. Rasha Bittar, all I would ask you to do is remind the folks what they need to know, so importantly. That the power to heal is unequivocally yours. Yes. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.